this is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, and this will also be a special edition of the Becker Private Equity Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by a brilliant leader and partner at McGuire Woods, Tim Fry. Tim's going to talk to us about five or six different areas in the healthcare space, the area that, that private equity is investing in. And just give us a, a sense of what he's seeing in those areas. The areas that we're going to talk about are orthopedics, surgery centers, primary care, vision care, compounding and specialty pharmacies, and post-acute care. Tim, I'll ask you to take a moment and just sort of walk us through a couple thoughts on each of these areas and what you're seeing, and maybe do two or three at a time, and then I'll ask you some questions, and then we'll go forward with the next two or three. Tim? Thank you, Scott. It's always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners, um, and thank you so much for having me again. Um, you know, a lot of these thoughts are coming from our recent white paper, and, and I'll talk about it again at the end, but it had 27 different niches in the healthcare private equity space, and you're absolutely right. Let me kick off with the post-acute space, um, we are seeing a lot of interest in private equity funds to get into post-acute care, and it's really driven, and, and candidly, Scott, you know, for orthopedics, for primary care, in different ways, vision as well, so maybe it's a trend of the things I'll be talking about with you today on, it, it's the aging demographics. It's the older population, the Medicare population, the state Medicaid programs with Medicare that is driving this interest. And really the growth in Medicare Advantage plans, Scott, is leading this post-acute boom. There is a real interest among investors to find abilities to take really strong home health and hospice organizations, skilled nursing facilities, improve find good staff, duplicate that model, and find avenues to reduce cost opportunities and, and play with the kind of the Medicare Advantage plans to show kind of lower cost care for higher quality delivery and avoiding hospitalizations. And really that kind of shift to Medicare Advantage, I think, is driving so much of that interest. Even at the time, policymakers may be looking at ways to say, are we happy with these investments? Um, and, and some of the scrutiny of private equity investment has certainly been in that post-acute care space, Scott. I could give you one or two examples, but maybe the, the most famous this year is um, in, in um, private equity funds and REITs, when they're investing in skilled nursing facilities, are going to have to disclose that and do extra disclosures to the Medicare program. Uh, than other Medicare providers have to. So you kind of have that interest, but then a little bit of that, you know, kind of public policy, is this what we want to see? And, and it's an interesting space that a lot of people are trying to get involved with. No, it's fascinating. And the whole Medicare Advantage space, which is now more than 50% of Medicare, but right now not proving to be worth its weight in gold, as you're seeing higher costs and not necessarily better customer experience so far in a fascinating politics that led to Medicare Advantage exploding in, in, in sort of growth, not necessarily in popularity in a lot of health systems now having second thoughts about their participation in some of the Medicare Advantage programs. But fascinating to see this post-acute care you know, being sort of looked at as a service for Medicare Advantage plans that are trying to manage cost in different ways. Absolutely fascinating. Take us through another area beyond post-acute care. It's fascinating how those things intersect with what's going on in Medicare Advantage 
and what a fascinating sort of either debacle or positive people have seen in Medicare Advantage, but there's been certainly tremendous growth in it. Thank you, Tim. Such, take us to another such area. growth. And, and, and Scott, I think I'm just going to piggyback off of your comments right there and go straight to primary care. Obviously, there are a lot of, you know, primary care we all most of your listeners, I assume, I certainly go see my primary care doctor once a year. There has been a lot of interest in, in the investor community, not just in those classic traditional family practice physician models, but leveraging primary care and, and telehealth more holistically with Medicare Advantage plans. And so just going off of what you just said and post-acute, that's often the thesis of a lot of the primary care investments we're seeing as well, which is that Medicare Advantage is now over 50% of Medicare beneficiaries, you know, approaching 60% in the next couple of years. And so investors kind of interested in that space, interested in that trend are saying, hey, can we leverage primary care? You have, you know, the Oak Streets of the world and others um, um, that have invested in this space, including some of the biggest names in private equity. And, and that's, you know, a big part of that driver is how can we be involved with primary care, reduce overall costs, and we think we can get some great contracts long-term with Medicare Advantage plans and help them reduce costs while improving quality. So it's certainly something that we're seeing not just in post-acute care, but also kind of in that primary care space as well. Right. It seems like so many of the big primary care groups that have been built the last several years are built around that Medicare Advantage. And now there's so much competition for primary care doctors. We're short a couple hundred thousand in the country. There's tremendous competition for them. You've got both the all these these larger Medicare Advantage-driven groups like Central Ohio Primary Care, but but also you've got you know these partners with CVS and Walgreens as they try and build out primary care and Amazon and so forth and so on. Just a a whole group of growth here, and. Um, you know, it's fascinating to see how it all works out. I mean, these things were so profitable during COVID, but are slowing down in their profitability as people go back to getting procedures and everything else as well. So you're starting to see some of this Medicare Advantage plans struggle economically much more than they did a couple of years ago. And that's had a big negative impact on the stock price, the profitability of some of the biggest operators of Medicare Advantage plans currently, even though a couple of years ago they were just on fire, but there's still a lot of growth in it and there's just a shortage of primary care physicians. So the prices for primary care and the opportunities in it are still still you know large and, and present. But fascinating different dynamics going on in that market. Yeah, and let me switch gears a little bit and with um um being humble in front of talking to the person that knows more about ambulatory surgery centers than anyone. Um, Scott, that's an area I wanted to turn attention to briefly and also pull in vision and orthopedics and kind of deal with all three of those sectors, you know, in part together. And that's because what we've seen over especially the last couple of years in the surgery center space is while private equity funds, other investors, large consolidators have been playing, you know, in, in managing surgery centers for a long time, where we're seeing a lot of the growth and in interest and in changes in the market is when a private equity fund invests in a specialty like vision care to do maybe the whole care continuum from optometry to optometry 
ophthalmology, cataract surgeries, and you know, high-end retina specialties. Do that whole care continuum, and then also try to bring in ancillaries like surgery centers. Orthopedics, very similar, Scott. We're seeing more and more interest in different parts of the country in large orthopedic practices partnering with private equity, finding a ways to get all the different ancillaries aligned and you know improve the care con continuum, including physical therapy, imaging, surgery centers, when you can get them outside the hospital. Cardiology is another one that I think we talked about when Holly and I joined you recently on the podcast to talk about a few other subsectors. And so you're seeing kind of in taking vision and orthopedics here briefly, but with the surgery center, what we're seeing is that kind of how can we bring the whole care continuum together, different subspecialties together, surgical and clinical care. And that's really a change or, or at least an increase in the interest of investors in surgery centers differently than maybe they were thinking even five years ago, where the focus would have been, how do we build out a surgery center platform? Now, maybe it's how do we either build our own surgery centers? How do we partner with health system surgery centers or management company-backed surgery centers? and bring that with our specialty that we've been investing in and bringing the clinical to bear kind of, again, as a care continuum. No, 100%. And, and whether, you know, one person's care continuum is another person's profitable ancillary service, and it depends. You could look at it under either paradigm, but you're absolutely right in that there's this sort of growth as these orthopedic large mega orthopedic practices funded by private equity. They're very much looking to add on ancillaries control, ancillaries control surgery centers, whether it's part of a care continuum or cost saving structures, or just to make sure there's enough profit in the whole model to keep on having the orthopedic physicians and the private equity fund be happy. And it's simply on the vision side. I mean, at the end of the day, so much of vision is still fee-for-service cataracts and, and business that's done by ophthalmologists, as well as just general vision care services done by optometrists. But as part of that, whether you're putting together, you know, vision services or putting together an ophthalmology platform, clearly ophthalmology and orthopedics want to have part of that surgery center as opposed to just a multi-specialty surgery center company. These are practice-driven, specialty-driven that want the surgery center as part of the quote-unquote care continuum or quote-unquote part of the ancillary profits, which, whichever way you look at it, there's a lot of interest, and that's where a lot of the growth is coming for in surgery centers is from these specialty-driven platforms that want to make sure that's part of their P&L and part of their care continuum. I mean, and, and again, you know, there's some synergy between the two, whether it's care continuum or P&L, but, but certainly the one thing that's clear, they want that, that piece of the business. Right, and even just, you know, brand awareness um, in the vision space, you know, it's also a space where there's a retail component in, in, in a lot of the, you know, larger consolidators, if they're involved with optometry groups as well, or optometrists is a subspecialty um, amongst the whole vision group, you know, they're involved in glasses sales, right? And so having that kind of unified approach all the way through, including the surgery center, I think is, is something that excites a lot of investors in the space. 
I mean, a hundred percent. No, no, absolutely. It is. It is part of the, uh, and why don't you take us through, we've talked about sort of surgery centers a little bit as part of vision orthopedics. I know those are two yeah. more of the subjects you're going to talk about. Tell us what's going on in those areas a little bit. Yeah, so outside of kind of that surgery center linkage and bringing it in, we're seeing vision had been very, very hot um, amongst investors. We're still seeing a lot of activity, and we're actually seeing a number of the platforms trade um, their second or third time, meaning the initial private equity fund that invested has now moved on and um, you know, sold the asset or sold its partnership to another investor. And so that, you know, was bringing a lot of, still there seems to be robust opportunities in the space. Maybe it's not as on fire as it was a couple of years ago, but still a lot of interest. Orthopedics actually started um, a lot of the investment after Vision. And so we still see a lot more of the green space in front of folks. And, you know, orthopedics also has the hospital dynamics that Vision doesn't have. And so that's one thing that private equity investors are spending time thinking about is, what do these relationships look like if we, you know, find the right orthopedic partner? Do we also have to worry about whether we have the right hospital partner? How much of the surgeries are still being done in the inpatient or hospital outpatient setting versus surgery centers or other pain management type work, Scott? So orthopedics is still that kind of working with local health systems, maybe in a way that vision isn't, and that presents some additional investor challenges. Thank you very, very much. Fascinating what's going on in those areas, and there's been an explosion of orthopedic-driven private equity platforms. What else are you watching, Tim? What else can you fill us in on? Yeah, let me just end with one last that's different than some of the others we've talked about today, and that's compounding pharmacies. A number of the investors are trying to diversify within healthcare, and we talked about that the last time payer service uh, lines and investments. Compounding pharmacy we're seeing in some ways similarly. It's at least not as driven by you know, local patient dynamics in the same way that vision, orthopedics, urology, et cetera, are for some of our investors. But it is still you know, very direct medicine. In fact, some of the compounding pharmacy, the types of drugs they're dealing with, are um, higher intensity and more regulatory burden, whether it's from the FDA or whatnot. But for those trying to diversify, compounding pharmacy has really been a great opportunity for them to get away from the physician space or entirely be in the physician space while still investing in healthcare. And we're seeing a number of these types of deals dealing with things from everything from consumer-friendly forms of pills, whether that's chewables or nasal sprays as compounding pharmacists can help patients that maybe aren't able to take the normal pill form and take it in a different way, to also coming up with new uh, roles and partnerships to kind of get to patients um, treatments that maybe weren't otherwise available. Oncology, Scott, again, the older population, higher incidence of cancer is part of this drive. There's a lot of treatments needed in that kind of space, almost um, 
compounding the medications, making sure it's right for the individual patient. And I think there's some interest in the next few years as advancements continue and you hear about things like personalized medicine, if that happens and certain treatments get even more individualized, it's going to take compounding pharmacies to kind of put those specific drug cocktails together for individuals. And again, oncology is kind of at the cutting edge of that. And so it's driving a lot of interest in another subsector of healthcare that's maybe a little bit outside of the physician space. No, it's fascinating to see it. Compound pharmacies got in so much trouble a few years ago. Now they seem to be back, you know, at it and, and, and positively so, not a negative on it, but at some point they ended up in lots of trouble a few years back. And now it seems to be, a, again, a part of the universe and a needed part of the universe. So fascinating. Tim Fry, yeah, partner at McGuire Woods, brilliant, brilliant lawyer. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about some of these areas in healthcare and private equity and what's going on in the investment area in these areas talked about post-acute care, vision services, orthopedics, surgery centers, um, and, 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 and a lot more uh, primary care as well, especially in compounding pharmacies. It's a lot there. Tim does a great job following it. There's a white paper at McGuire Woods uh, that anybody could access, tfry at mcguirewoods.com, or you could reach S. Becker uh, at McGuire Woods or S. Becker at, at, at beckershealthcare.com. Thrilled to get you that white paper. Thank you all for tuning in. And thank you, Tim Fry, for joining us today on the Becker Healthcare Podcast, the Becker Private Equity Podcast. Thank you, Scott.